Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. All right, I'd like to welcome Kelly and Monty Hiller to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Kelly, so great to have you on board. How's it going? Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's going awesome. great. Good. You have, um, before we dive into some of the questions, let's just talk about the new facilities you guys, you guys have. I'm looking at it right now through the uh, video portion of this. You guys might have the best facilities in all Division I athletics. Forget about lacrosse. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, we've obviously always had our amazing field on the lake, um, but, you know, there's been some cold days there. So now to have our indoor field right on the water too, um, all glass and all the facilities that go along with that, it's, it's a big game changer for us. We're pretty excited. So give us a quick rundown on what the facilities got. What, what, just give us the, 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 the hype. Well, the biggest thing is that everything's in one spot for our, for our student athletes now. So they have a dining center here um, where they can eat, academic services, career development. Um, they have their locker rooms here, lounge, um, the indoor field, our offices, pretty much anything that they would need, um, you know, sports-wise is in this building and then their support academically is here too so it just really makes their lives I mean these guys are so busy because you know the academics is rigorous here so they you know need to make sure they budget their time and just to have everything in one spot is amazing and then for us to play games indoors is is a big game changer for us we used to have to kind of shuffle our schedule around um, and play a lot of our home games towards the end of the season. And now we can kind of schedule at our leisure. Um, and it, it, I think it'll be great for the fans too. We have quite a, quite a big fan following in this area because of our tradition of success. And so it should be, it should be an excellent year. I'm excited for it. Awesome. And it's like, isn't the building pretty much made of glass and you guys from the field can have this incredible view of Lake Michigan? Yes, our uh, indoor field overlooks Lake Michigan. It's, it's the most impressive indoor facility um, out there, beats any pro facility, college facility. And then, you know, our offices overlook the water too, the locker rooms do. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, our athletic director has done an amazing job to be able to um, make this happen and it's it's been a long time coming but he really executed it it's it's a game changer for all the sports here at Northwestern awesome what's the price tag on it I think it was like maybe 300 million nice awesome yeah. well congrats on that it's really exciting I mean you know for for a program that's already won seven national championships and division one lacrosse is just getting more and more competitive it's pretty awesome to be able to just, you know, bring people out there because it's one of those things where I guarantee anybody who sees it, uh, their jaw just drops and they just can't stop. They just can't get over it, I bet. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we've had some good success with our recruiting this fall and we hope awesome. that that continues and yeah. people come out and check, check out the place and it'll be enjoyable for the teams that come out here and play us too. Love it. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com. All right, let's talk a little bit about one of the questions I love asking and talking to coaches about is, um, is their journey as a player and a coach. So give us a little rundown first about, you know, the sports that you played growing up and then, and then talk to us a little bit about playing at Maryland. 
Sure. Um, you know, when I was little, I always wanted to kind of keep up with my siblings. I have two older brothers and one older sister. I'm the youngest of four. And so, you know, even at my young age, I wanted to play as many sports as I could. There really wasn't a lot of offerings when I was really young. Um, so I started off in like little league baseball. Um, I ended up being able to play ice hockey with uh, my brothers, like the third child in the league was free. So that was a huge bonus. Um, and then I ended up playing, you know, youth basketball, soccer was a big one for me. Um, pretty much everything I could do, I, I tried. Um, and I didn't get exposed to lacrosse. It wasn't that big in the Massachusetts area, only like the private schools had it. Yep. And so um, I didn't get a chance to even get exposed to it until ninth grade when I went to the high school that my brothers were at, their academy. And once I got the opportunity there, the coach at the time was Lisa Miller, oh, no. former Harvard coach. And she went to Fair Academy too. And she saw my success in the fall with soccer and then um, basketball in the winter. And she came up to me and asked if I would play. They didn't have softball. So I said I would try it and uh, kind of stuck. So no softball. I know, right? <laughs> that would have been brutal. And then really quickly, you're, you're in a very athletic family. You have at least one brother who's in the NHL. Was your other brother in there too? Um, no, he never played in the NHL. He did a little bit minor league um, hockey. And then my sister played field hockey in college too. So we were all pretty active. My parents really believed that, you know, playing, playing sports and staying active like that was important to keep us out of trouble. Um, yeah. So we were always doing different things. And um, my dad was kind of sick when I was younger, he had a lot of heart issues. So he ended up retiring um, from his construction business and um, just took us around quite a lot, him and my mom. So we were really lucky to have them exposed to us and just have them as mentors constantly. That's awesome. Very cool. So then you, you went to the University of Maryland and honestly, you know, a, a, an amazing opportunity for you as a player to win a ton of championships. Kelly, tell me a little bit about the University of Maryland, why you chose it, and tell us a little bit about what it was like to play for Cindy, Tim Shaw, and uh, Gary Gate. Well, I think, you know, the one of the things when I was being recruited a little bit, I, I wanted to stay close to home. And you know, I had seen my brother, Tony, who was a, obviously a top recruit for ice hockey. He had been courted by a lot of different coaches. And, you know, through the recruiting process, I felt like Cindy Timshaw was, you know, the most similar to what I saw from the ice hockey side and how seriously it was taken. And, you know, that's really what I wanted. I wanted to be taken seriously, just like my brother was being taken seriously. And I feel like Cindy did an amazing job at that. She's a very forward thinker and she's very innovative. And I think the the choice to, to court and bring Gary in, yeah. one of those decisions that Cindy made. Um, so I'd say, you know, even before Gary impacting me, I would say Cindy impacted me. I think she brought um, some different, we had this sports psychologist, Jerry Lynch, that really impacted me greatly in terms of just being positive and, and um, you know, combining what I had learned growing up to really kind of take my game to the next level. And then when Gary came in, it was, he's just so innovative in terms of his thinking. Um, he really knows how to dissect the game down and you hit it right on the nose, like as a coach, it really inspired me because, you know, it wasn't just about going up and down and playing. Um, it was about, you know, why are we doing this? How are we doing this? And really thinking about the little intricacies of the game. And I think that, you know, changed my game as well. It changed me as a, a person and as a coach, I was able to from the beginning at Northwestern develop young players because I knew how to teach the skills and, and really get down to the most 
basic intricacies of the game and, you know, develop a player that had never played before to, you know, be an All-American. So I would say both Cindy and Gary were probably, you know, the most impactful coaches that I had. Um, and, you know, they both impacted me in different ways, but uh, both extremely, um, you know, important. Now, there were a ton of now Division One coaches that came out of Maryland that played under Cindy and Gary. Just real quick, rattle off a little bit about that coach's tree. We'll talk about yours later, but how about the Maryland coach's tree? I mean, it's just incredible. I think the biggest thing that Cindy and Gary, you know, instilled in us is just a, a passion for the game and a love of the game. And, you know, every day it's, you, it's fun. It's fun to, to think about lacrosse, to be involved in lacrosse, to, you know, work together towards a top common goal. And so, you know, I think that's probably why so many people from uh, Cindy's era went on and, and chose to, to be in the sport, be in the game and, you know, really give it back. That, that's why I coach. I, I coach because I was given a very, very special opportunity to, to be able to do what I love uh, in college, get a great education. And, you know, I want to be able to give that type of an experience back to the kids that I have in my program and, and hopefully move the ball forward for women's lacrosse um, just in general. Awesome. And so who are some of the coaches? We got Kathy Reese, of course, um, uh, Courtney, Courtney Connor. Um, who else? What other coaches are coming from that coaches trip? Um, Missy Doherty from Penn State. Yep. Um, who else? Oh, Jen Adams. Jen Adams, yep. Uh, Sonia uh, LaMonica from Towson. Yep. Uh, there. Um, I'm just trying to think. At one point, we had every Big Ten coach except for the Rutgers coach was a Maryland grad. Um, but then the, uh, Jenny Yu left Michigan. So, oh, Alexis Venichanos from Ohio State. All right. Um, I'm sure there's a few others yeah. that I'm missing. But, yeah, those are some of the standouts for sure. Pretty awesome. Oh, Acacia Walker from BC. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I think so, a couple of years ago, the final four, three out of the four coaches were Maryland grads. I think it was Penn State, BC, and uh, Maryland were, were the three out of the four. Now, you got – Northwestern's got a pretty sweet coach's tree going also. And I'd love to, love to hear a little bit about uh, your coaching journey – it's funny because me, I was an assistant coach until I was 31 years old. And, and because <laughs> of the growth of women's lacrosse, um, you know, there, you guys got your jobs as head coaches maybe a little bit younger. And so, therefore, you didn't have as many mentors. But before we talk about your coach's tree, talk about the, the mentors that you had along the way, who you learned from. And then let's talk about your assistants that you've had in your coach's tree. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I – have learned from Cindy and Gary. Those are two big influencers in my coaching career. And, you know, when I got the job at Northwestern, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I, I was, I hadn't really been a full-time assistant. I assisted at Brown University um, when I graduated from college. Then I moved to UMass and uh, was a grad assistant there. And then I went to BU and was a volunteer assistant. So I had only done coaching on the field. I had never done like in the office work, recruiting, anything like that. So when I got the call to come out here to Northwestern for a, a visit, um, an interview, they, you know, I, my first instinct was not, I don't really want to do that because, um, you know, I just got back to Boston. As I said, I wanted to go to college close to home and, and I didn't get that. So I wanted to stay home after. Um, but my husband, Scott Hiller, he was like the same thing that you said, like a lot of the men's coaches, they have to do their time for years and years and years to be able to get a head coaching opportunity. And he just said, Kelly, 
you know, I've been a long time assistant and, you know, you should really just take this interview and see what it's all about, you know? So then I came out on the interview and I was like, oh God, it's so nice here. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Now I'm in a complete dilemma because the people were so amazing. And so I can remember Scott saying specifically when I came back and we discussed it, um, we had just gotten married. If I took the job, I was going to have to live separate for a year while he finished law school. Um, and, you know, he, he said, we, he's like, you should just do it. Try it out. If you don't like it, you can always, you know, change your mind and come back. I'm like, oh, 20 years later, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still here. But um, you know, it's, it's been the most amazing experience. And, and my first instinct when I went on the interview that the people here were so amazing was, was the right instincts. Um, Nancy Lyons, who has had a big part in hiring me, she was a great mentor. She wasn't a coach. She was an administrator, but I really didn't have any experience in the administrative portion of coaching. So she pretty much like taught me everything in those early years. That's huge. Um, yeah, so I owe a lot to her and, you know, for Rick Taylor for, you know, taking a chance on a 25 year old that had no real solid experience. I was a good lacrosse player, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to be a good coach. Um, so those were, were probably in the early years. And I think, you know, along the way, I really try to take um, insight from everyone that I meet, um, and, you know, get as much feedback as I can, whether it's, uh, you know, I formed a relationship with Bill Belichick. I, you know, look to him for advice. Um, I often look to my brother for advice. He was a, you know, 17 year NHL veteran. Um, obviously my husband, Scott is a big influencer of our program and, you know, get a lot of advice from him too. So, you know, there's been a lot of people along the way that have influenced my coaching career and my parents, obviously my dad was a big influencer, um, in my career as well. So, you know, I, I can't point to, to one, one person or another, but I think those are the, th you know, the few people that really impacted me the most. Well, the way we got to know each other was through Scotty. And, uh, so Scott was maybe a year behind me at UMass and I went to Brown and we played against each other, didn't know each other at all. But then I was at Yale from 91 to 98. He was at Harvard probably in, in those same years mm -hmm. uh, as an assistant for Scott Anderson. In fact, the funny thing is, is that <laughs> I actually um, had been offered verbally uh, a, a job with Scotty Anderson. And then I just, I couldn't get in touch with him for the whole rest of the summer. And I just was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to, I guess he doesn't want me to be the assistant. And then Scotty ended up, being around <laughs> he lived up there and he ended up taking that job and then I got the job at Yale soon thereafter so we got to be friends in the coaching ranks and yes. uh, so anyways but he's a awesome guy Garden City product to uh, student of the game four-year-old American great students of the game and uh, great coach and teacher so you guys um, and he's your volunteer Yes, he's, he's my volunteer. We're, we're a great team. I think that he, you know, any weaknesses I have are his strengths. And, you know, we really work well together. I think, um, you know, we've really been able to kind of foster our coaching relationship together throughout, throughout the last number of years. And it's been a lot of fun to be able to, you know, spend time with him and innovate with him. And, you know, the, the people that he exposes me to, like you and, you know, a number of other people, he's really um, got a lot of connections and he's very well respected in the lacrosse world. So, um, you know, I've been able to really benefit from that as well. Yeah, awesome. Now you've had, you guys, um, what, what, what year was your first championship? Um, 2005. What was your first season? 2001 like the oh 2000 2001 season was the first first year the one two that was our fourth four, year yep yeah so that's that's unbelievable like did you just hit the lottery on recruiting without really knowing it or i mean <laughs> how do you do that i mean it's, well, it's unbelievable i think the rules were of the game were a little bit different so that helped no boundaries um in that year 
um, in 2005, that was the last year without boundaries. And um, how did that help you? Well, you know, our skill was good, but it wasn't like the, the players that we have today. It, you know, it's, it wasn't as refined, but we were incredible athletes great drive, great culture on that 2005 team, just tremendous leaders. And, you know, we were able to just kind of outwork people. I think we surprised a lot of people. They took us lightly and we were able to just kind of make it happen, you know. Um, and there was no restraining lines back then too, so you could get everybody back on defense? No, there was restraining. There was restraining line, yep. Um, just no boundaries. In, in 2006, that it's funny because in 2005 I think the fact that there was no boundaries helped us and then in 2006 the fact that there was boundaries helped us win we went to overtime with Duke in the semifinals and they pretty much had the game in their hands they were winning by one goal started to spread us out and they one of their players airmailed it over the top there was a change of possession um, because of the new boundary rules, and we ended up going down and scoring. And uh, we probably wouldn't have done that if if the rules were the same. So we just got lucky in a, in a lot of different ways. I guess you create your own luck, but, um, you know, it, it was a lot of fun that, that first year. And, you know, once you win that first championship, you get that confidence. Um, the kids believe. That was, that was probably my biggest, you know, battle for the first – three years is just to get that team to believe that they could do it. I knew they could. Um, and they just had to believe it themselves. And so that awesome. was the biggest challenge. So in 05, you guys could, you know, if you got pressured, you could throw it out of bounds and be the first person there and retain possession. Exactly. <laughs> you just pressure everybody, make them throw it out of bounds and then come back down and score it. So that works out really well. Exactly. <laughs> And so, um, and then, you know, then all of a sudden recruiting started picking up. I mean, but there's been a major metamorphosis in the sport of women's lacrosse mm -hmm. you know, since that time, right? I mean, with, with the rule changes. I mean, when, were, when did the um, actual restraining lines come into, into effect? What year was that? The restraining line, I can't even remember. I, I don't know exactly what year it is. Um, was it 2000s or was it in the 90s? No, it was in the 2000s, I think. So all of a sudden, in the beginning of the 2000s, in a five-year span, you went from having, you know, everybody back on defense, which is 11 defenders, to mm -hmm. only having seven. And yeah. then all of a sudden, there's like, you can't just throw it out of bounds and be the first person there. Like, it used to be, like, in men's lacrosse on a shot, the first person to the out-of-bounds ball could retain mm -hmm. that possession, right? Yeah. And, so, and then all of a sudden, you got stick technologies. Yes. Really good athletes. And the game is growing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just talk about that metamorphosis and, and, and how I, it seems to me like it continues to, to, to grow. And you've been like a real part of that, along with a lot of other coaches. Yes, it, it really has been a, amazing since, you know, I first got involved in the sport um, to see the changes in the game. And I think there was a lot of reluctancy when I first started coaching um, in the room of changing the rules and, and you know, nobody wanted to really break the tradition of the sport. And I think that it took a lot of, um, you know, people kind of getting together to, to just say, Hey, you know, our sport is amazing and there is tremendous tradition. We're not trying to do that injustice. We're just trying to make the game, you know, more fan friendly. And that's what the perspective that I yep. brought um, is, you know, people would come to our games in Illinois, they had never speak, seen the sport before. And the questions that they would ask, it was very basic, you know, why can you get the ball back after you throw it out of bounds? Like, <laughs> you know, wh why, you know, why do you have to stand on the whistle? Like, just just the basic things. And, and I tried to bring that perspective of, you know, we want to grow our game on TV, nationally. Um, and we have to be a sport that's simple and marketable. And, you know, we have, we have great athletes. We have great commitment from coaches um, and administrations to, to fund our sport. 
and we have to do our best job to put a great product on the field. And I think that over the last, you know, 10 years, the rules committee has done a tremendous job at really making some simple, you know, changes that have, have made our game, you know, dramatically more fan friendly and appealing to the masses, you know, and I could see why certain people might not be in favor of certain things, but I think that you have to kind of step back a little bit and say what's best for the sport. And, you know, in, in my opinion, not in everyone's opinion, but in my opinion, I think these changes have been best for the sport. I watched that championship game, you know, Boston college versus James Madison. And it was just, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful game to watch. It was, you know, tremendous athletes on the field uh, competing at the highest level. And, you know, there, it was, it was a game right until the last second, you know, and that's really what you want to see. So I'm excited about the changes. We've had to, you know, really make some changes with the way that we coach and evolve. And that's something that I, I pride myself on is just trying to stay ahead of the game and, and be innovative. And, and, um, you know, I think when you continue to have success, sometimes you get away from that because you're just chasing success. And I think over the past couple of years, we've gotten kind of back to being a little bit more skill focused, innovation focused, and, and just, you know, really true to, to, true to who we are and playing our game. Yeah, I was just about to bring that concept up of, I mean, I think that when you look at how much change there's been, if you do remain in an insular world that you're in, how can you open your eyes up to everything else that's out there and to open your eyes, you know, you mentioned, you know, the other influences, you know, whether it be Scotty from the men's side or the friends he brings in or mm -hmm. box lacrosse. I know you're recruiting. We'll talk about Canadians and box lacrosse later or Bill Belichick or, you know, like every sport really, I mean, every single sport in, including men's lacrosse can bring, you know, you ideas to, mm -hmm. right, Hey, how can I, how can we apply this? I mean, for me, that's always been one of the most fun parts of coaching and lacrosse is, is learning and sharing and stuff like that. So how, how big has that been for you um, and how big and for the other coaches that have been doing this out there? And I say this because I really feel like for the high school coaches and everybody, it's like sharpening your saw is, is about studying not just what you see around you, but anything you can kind of get your hands on. Absolutely. I think the best coaches do that. And I think that it's been really cool to see, um, you know, you see so much parity in our sport right now. Um, and I don't think that that's just recruiting based. Um, I don't think that that's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, parity in the sport is due to the, the early recruiting. And I would beg to differ. I would say that the parity in the sport is, is due to a lot of coaches really working hard to be innovative and, you know, up their game. And I think that a lot of coaches have done that. They're, you know, trying to be learners and, and really study it and, and be passionate about it. So, um, you know, I think that's been a, a very cool byproduct. You know, you got a lot of different people coaching our game now. And then you also have people that have been coaching for 30, you know, 35 years and they're, they're changing and upping the ante as well. So it's a pretty cool environment to be in right now. And I just feel pretty lucky to, to be in the position that I'm in and, and to be able to work with such a, a great group of, you know, student athletes every day. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about um, about box lacrosse. Um, you've got you've got Selena Lasota on your team, who's a, she's a senior this year. Mm -hmm. um, she's really one of the most fun players to watch that I've ever seen. Um, she does things that, um, you know, 
the best players in the world sometimes don't do in the way she fakes. And I'm talking about men's and women's lacrosse. I don't care who you are in the sport of lacrosse. This woman is unbelievable. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, A, kind of how, how you guys ended up sort of coming across Selena because she was kind of from the middle of nowhere. And then B, you know, how has it impacted your sort of view of the game as it relates to box lacrosse and playing boys lacrosse, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, um, we had a one of the coaches up there in uh, BC contact us about Selena. Um, and my assistant at the time, Danielle Spencer, who's now the head coach at, at Dartmouth, she followed up and and um we went danielle and i went to see selena play we also saw a little video of her and i mean we were we were excited in it and you know she wasn't jaw dropping at that moment but you could see the potential you could see that her game was just a little different than what we were looking at every day when we were recruiting and so you know we honestly said like we we want to we want to take a chance on her and and make make a move so we we called her uh set up a call um skyped her i think at the time and you know we said listen we kind of said to each other danielle and i we said if 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 this thing works out we're going to try to you know make it happen very quickly and so we we met her on the phone, uh, on the video chat, and she was just, you know, she's dynamic on the field, but she's an incredible person too. She's yeah. very dynamic. Her dad's a commercial fisherman, um, you know, comes from very humble family, and she's just really a unique person. And we just felt that she could bring not just the box across, but a great dynamic to our team. and. Um, so we, we uh, you know, gave her an opportunity. She, she agreed to the opportunity without even seeing Northwestern. <laughs> she just checked out the website and uh, she said, I'm in, you know? And awesome. so it was a pretty cool, cool story, but, um, you know, never did I imagine um, what she's accomplished already. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about this year. She, she had a fantastic fall. Um, I think she's she's definitely a, a player to to watch for sure, and I think in the in the national player hunt, um, and she just is so different and dynamic. I think you, you know when you talk about game changers, she's a game changer. She you know no one ever shot the ball from the eight meter a standing shot before Selena. That she was the first player to do that you know in her freshman year, and now. Tons of people are doing that. You know, it's it's just pretty cool to see she's bringing a different style of play to our game, and she's just so explosive, so powerful, but also so skilled at the same time. Different types of shots, um, shots that goalies haven't really seen from other players, and I think that's what makes her and some of the other Canadian players coming from the box across back background that you know very unique. She is so sick to watch. I mean, the fakes that she does, the backhand, she shoots jump shots from the eight. I mean, she can split to her right hand and hammer a jump shot. She does step back shots, screen shots, behind the back shovels. Her fakes are off the charts. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, how many goals did she score in the NCAA tournament last year? I mean, like 25 goals? I think, yeah, I think she had like 22 goals in like two games or something crazy. Like, she, yeah, she really, at the end of the season last year, she really exploded and she's kind of kept it rolling throughout this fall. So we're pretty excited to, to enter the season. And, you know, I think that um, the cool thing is like when she first came into us, she really had to learn the, the field game because she had no exposure to field lacrosse. A lot of Canadian kids do have exposure to field, but because of where she lives, she's very remote. She lives in Vancouver Island, which is a two-hour ferry ride to the mainland. So she didn't have any exposure until later in her high school career. And, you know, when she came to us, we really had to teach her a lot of the intricacies of field lacrosse. And, you know, I feel like now she's really starting to hit her stride. Um, so it's it's going to be an exciting uh, year to watch her for sure, yeah. for hopefully the fans as well. 
it's cool. And I think it's really important for people to like, look at, you know, the model that she kind of used for development because I mean, listen, she's a special athlete, you know, it's just like, you know, she's not just doing it purely because of how she grew up playing. She's a great athlete, but she grew up playing box across. She grew up playing with boys. She, you know, the Canadians, I believe when she was on the U19 team won the gold medal and they, they probably have barely 10% of the population of players. And you know, cause you're coaching the U19 women this year. Yes. Um, and so their model, particularly in the West, you know, interestingly, they don't play as much box lacrosse in Ontario as they do in BC. You know that. Yeah. And, um, but, but that team, that U19 four years ago was pretty much made up of a lot of BC kids. They played a lot of box and just tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how important, you know, growing up and, and getting outside of this insular world of how girls youth lacrosse is and maybe Bright, uh, broaden your horizons into some into some other development environments. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in America, it's like sports specific. That's the the trend, and you know, I think the more you can get exposed to different things, whether it's you know basketball, box across, um, you know, different things that can bring different aspects to your game. That's really what can set you apart in the long run. I think that. If you specialize early, you can blossom early, but that doesn't mean in the end when you get to college or in the recruiting process that you're going to be the, you know, the top one. I mean, I didn't start playing until ninth grade, but, you know, that didn't hold me back as a player either. And I think that I've had many players like that in, in my program. And I think that the more kids can develop their whole being as an athlete and take different things like you just said I mean when as a coach that's what we're trying to do we're trying to look at different sports we're trying to you know bring different aspects to our game I think if you can have that philosophy as a player too um, it's huge because it's gonna broaden who you are and for Selena um, you know it's it's been it's been a game changer and we actually had two other kids on that u19 canadian team as well um that are that have played in our program one still still on the team so so it was danita stroop that graduated last year yep danita stroop and then megan kenna who's a junior this year right yeah yeah really cool stuff and i know you got some more canadians on the way which is awesome and you guys, you guys are playing a little bit more of a style. I mean, any, all the coaches, no surprise to any of the coaches that play against you. You guys play a fair amount of two-man games, and um, you know, you play, you have a little bit of a box influence that I would think came in part from your exposure to all of that. Um, when you can blend, you know, the best of everything, which is it seems like what you're trying to do, whether it be the best of field you know, men's across, women's across, field across, box across, basketball, you get all these ideas. But tell us a little bit about, you know, how it's helped you evolve, you know, um, your, 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 your program, your offense, and your, as well as your skill. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the biggest thing with box cross, obviously, is that it's in a smaller space. Um, so that that's what you see from those players when they come to our program, they're able to execute some different things in tighter space and be very comfortable with it. And I think their shooting is a, is a big X factor for them because you know they're shooting on a very small goal with a humongous uh, goalie with a lot of equipment on. So those two things probably set those box players apart. And you know when we were considering things, obviously there's a big box influence on them on the men's side. Yeah. Um, and I think that for us to have, you know, numerous players on the offensive end that are coming from that background, you know, we said to ourselves, like, why are we going to make them change to our style? Maybe we can incorporate some of their style into our play and uh, kind of work with them on that. So I think that's been our motto. And, and for us, I think that, you know, you've seen over the, the last year or so, we've, we've had a lot of a scoring. Um, and I think with the new rules and everything, we, we felt like it was going to be very important to be able to score goals. And we wanted to try some different things to be able to, you know, score as many goals as we could every game. Um, you know, I think that you see that in a lot of these games. It's, you know, the scores are high scoring with the, with the shot clock. And, 
you know, we knew that there was going to be a lot of turnover of the ball from, you know, every 90 seconds. So we want to put ourselves in the best chance to be able to, to score goals every, every chance that we had. Um, so, you know, working the two man game, working, you know, some of the intricacies and the de deception and the shooting that goes along with that. Um, I think we've just seen a level of confidence from our players to be able to execute uh, different things in tighter spaces. And, um, you know, they have confidence that they can score at any time, at any moment, in any situation. Whereas I think before, um, you know, that necessarily wasn't the case. So it's been, it's been pretty cool to, to, to do that over the last year. And, and we're looking forward to this year um, really kind of taking it to the next level. Awesome. It's interesting how everything evolves. I mean, there was a time, you know, in men's across right now, you just alluded to it. There's a big influence and everyone is running the pairs offense. Why? Because they can run a two man game with either picks or mirrors on one side and, and then on the other side, you know, you can really make it hard to slide. You know, you can create movements and motions that make it hard. And, and, and um, it was not that long ago in men's across in the, in the 80s and 90s where the only time you ever picked for the ball was, you know, if you're being shut off maybe or behind the net to open yourself up to feed. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, yeah, don't bring a double to the ball, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but, but, but really what box lacrosse has kind of proven as, as a sport is, hey, sometimes it's easier to create space by bringing people together. Mm -hmm. And it certainly teaches a level of IQ. And I think that's the, the coolest part of, of the box influence is the, is the level of IQ. Forget about the X's and O's. There's a lot of ways to score goals. But one of the best ways, in my opinion, to teach people how to be smart players is how to play together. And when two players start working together with, you know, picks – it can be flips too. That's two man game, but picks, flips, slips, seals. It's pretty mm -hmm. awesome to watch. And are you seeing that with your players from an IQ perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it, it forces you to think about, you know, what's, what's the defense doing? What, what are they giving us here? And, you know, rather than just clearing space out so that you can kind of dodge down the alley, I think you're forced to see like, all right, I got to evaluate the situation and I got to figure out what they're giving me and, and I got to be able to use my deception or whatever tactics I have in my lacrosse toolbox to be able to, to make things happen as a unit. And, you know, I think the thing about box lacrosse is you can't, you can't be successful unless you're doing it together. Right. And, you know, in a team sport, that's a good thing to, to be reliant on each other um, it sometimes can pose some issues, but it also can, you know, prove to, to have great dividends as well. It's so fun to watch, uh, you know, two man going on one side and then backside action going and having a, a player with the ball reading all of it. You know, that's when you've really gotten to a high level. The other thing that's really cool about box across, and I, I think of one of your players in particular, but you know, like in traditionally, you know, it's just like, let's get the athlete, 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 speed, speed, speed. And all of a sudden you start doing these things that involve two man games and movements without the ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, different physical attributes can be taken advantage of. I think of uh, Holly on your team, your big lefty who, who was, you know, kind of slipped through the cracks of being a, a division one player even. And she ends up scoring, how much did she score? 35 goals for you last year? Yeah, I mean, she her story is incredible. She, you know, came to us from Colgate. She transferred into the school. Um, we had no idea she was transferring. And, and then after she arrived here at Northwestern, she came and saw us and, you know, said, I'd like to be part of the team. We had a pretty, pretty big roster and really didn't want to entertain that. Um, so we, we, you know, had to tell her, hey, we'll give you a, a fitness test. And if you really knock our socks off, you know, we'll consider you back to your point about, you know, yeah. physical attributes. And um, your socks stayed on. Yes, my socks stayed on. <laughs> um, and it was hard because, you know, I could tell she was a great kid. And it was hard to tell her that we, we didn't have an opportunity for her. Um, but I said, if you want to stay involved, you could be a manager. And she did that. And um, you know, I think it just speaks to commitment level and, and um, perseverance 
Um, she, while she was manager, she was taking notes on what we were doing, practicing it on her own and also working in our fitness because she knew that that was kind of a little bit of an issue. So, um, we had a little opening. We had a goalie get injured. We asked her, she had never played goaltender before. We asked her, Hey, will you, um, we take one for the team and, and get in there and take some shots for us in practice. She did it willingly. Um, she said, you know, I would love to help the team. And li literally, like, she would stand in there for hours and just take shots. We're like, Holly, you can get out now. She's like, oh, I need to I need to help the team. Extra eight meters, whatever it is, I'll do it. And then, you know, the following year, Scott and I talked, and he's like, he's like, we really don't have that many lefties. Maybe we should give Holly a shot um, and see what she can do. So I'm like, yeah, I guess it can't hurt. She really paid her dues for sure last year. And so we gave her a shot and I mean, she took it and ran with it. It was so cool to see. She had a great connection with Shelby Fredericks on the left side of the field. Um, and Shelby was able to pretty much spot feed her all day long. Um, you know, some up screens, some down screens, some different things. And it was, it was just such a cool thing. And I think the biggest thing that set her apart was her finishing. Yep. She was an incredible finisher. And, you know, we had to kind of be okay with she wasn't the fastest player on the field and maybe our ride wasn't as strong when, when she was out there. And, um, but, you know, every time she, she got the ball, she finished. And I think she's improved her game tremendously. She's improved her fitness. And now she's, you know, she's got the confidence. So I think you're going to see an even better Holly this, this season. Yeah. So Holly Korn might – you know, five years ago, it might have been harder to get her in the lineup. But now that you're playing a game that allows her to, you know, she was as good as anybody at, at, at setting a pick and slipping into the net and catching it and finishing. I mean, she was just awesome to watch. And then, you know, meanwhile, when they have, when, when teams have to start overcovering that, you know, the other, the righties are open. And now it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to help on Holly and, and, and leave Selena open. It's, it's not an easy situation so that's really cool that's a great story i would like to, to talk about that um mm -hmm. the, the uh i want to turn the this conversation in the direction of recruiting a little bit and i want to talk about first of all what are you what are you really looking for in a recruit and let's start off with character and then talk about the kind of student you need to be then let's talk about the athlete then the skill level and then the iq and maybe along the way a little bit of advice on you know what you would what you do with your own kids I know you do some awesome things with kind of sports they're playing, but also, you know, what you'd recommend for people as they go through. So for, first of all, character wise, what are you looking for? You know, I'm looking for a player that can develop. Okay. So, you know, I think the biggest thing in terms of development is hard work. That that's what I pride myself on. Um, you know, we feel like, you know, we're going to, we're going to work as hard as we can put ourselves in the best position to be successful um, and that's what we have here at Northwestern. And I think that if you have that number one thing is that you work hard, um, that's, that's going to help in any program that you go to. Um, I think also being able to accept feedback, you know, I think sometimes, you know, to go from high school to college is a challenge and, you know, to not initially be, the best right away you you might step in and play right away you might have to you know improve a ton um you know it just depends on the the specific individual and i think to have a development mindset and a positive mindset and not to be uh kind of discouraged by setbacks that's a huge one so you know resiliency hard work those are two big ones for me um and just in general, like a team player, a team player that will do, you know, play whatever position is needed for the team will, you know, put the, the team first uh, in every situation. Those to me are some of the outstanding kids that we've had in our program. Um, they've developed through their hard work and resiliency, and they've also been great teammates. And I think with the style of play that we're playing, where you know you're really reliant on your teammate to be successful, that's a real key for us. Um, so those are kind of some of the, you know, 
aspects that we look for in terms of just the X factor and in terms of the physical, you know, it, it really, I don't like to categorize what we look for. Um, it could be totally position specific. Um, it could be, uh, you know, a player that just is a great finisher, like Holly Korn, like this kid is a great finisher. We have another player like that um, on our team now, Ellie Yanor. She's just a tremendous finisher. And, you know, that can be something that can set you apart. So, you know, doing wall ball uh, for three hours in the backyard rather than traveling to a tournament in the car the whole time, that, that time on the wall could could get you a lot further, you know? And yeah. I think just having that mindset of it's not about, you know, getting recruited, it's about development. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of something that we value. And we really look for, we don't look for a finished product, to be honest, we look for potential. We look for potential that we can develop. Um, some kids come in more skilled than others in terms of just the physical aspects, but others are, you know, we see like Taylor Thornton is a prime example. I mean, she's one of the, the best players ever in our program and he was a work in progress. We knew that we would have to develop her, but we knew once she was developed, she was gonna be just one of the most dynamic athletes on the field. Um, and she had the work ethic to, to match it. And we saw that in her, she was just driven in the classroom, driven on the field. Um, and so, you know, I think what you said before, like we have some players that are just phenomenal speed wise. We have other players that maybe aren't as fast, but have another, you know, component to their game. And I think that's, what's been kind of a, a unique thing for us is we, we don't, put our recruiting in a, into a box. We look at every kid and we say, all right, can they fit in personality wise? Can they fit in with our culture? And what do they bring to the table? And what do we already have? And, and try to see if it's a match. And I think, you know, if you have that mindset of, you, you know, instead of trying to be recruited to find the school that you want the most, rather, hey, maybe the school that you want the most ends up after you visit and you see them, they might not be the best fit for you. So just really trying to find the best fit where you can have the best experience and obviously get a great education in, in, in the time being, um, you know, for, for our girls, they have to be hardworking too, because in the classroom they just have to work hard here. So um, those are kind of some of the small things that we look for. And sometimes it's just a gut feeling. Someone comes on a visit and, you know, we just, we see that their potential is there athletically and we just feel that it's a right fit personality wise. Um, so I, I think you just have to go with your gut as a coach and as a player too. Right. So, you know, um, uh, you've talked a lot about passion and stuff that's been important to you. I've heard you talk about that. When you think of character and all the, the, the components that you mentioned, how, how do you even look for it? Um, you know, when you're at a tournament or when they're on campus or if you talk to them, at least now with the early recruiting, you have a little bit of time to evaluate it, but how do you do that? I think you, it's hard to recruit, recruit character at a tournament. It's just honestly impossible. I mean, the only, you know, you might see some, some signs of a kid, you know, supporting their teammate after the ball has moved and, you know, that teammate made a mistake or maybe they do something and they slam their stick or, you know the old palms up yeah it, it could be anything exactly um that's not a good sign so you know I, I have been in those situations before you're sitting on a field and you're like this is the kid this is our recruit and you know you see one of those signs maybe in a positive or a negative way and that's how you you know make some decisions but ultimately I think being on the campus um, and, you know, interacting with the coaches and the players. Our, our players are the best judge. We, you know, we try to talk to them and see what they think about the, the prospects and see if they think that they would fit in well with our culture and, you know, who we are. And um, sometimes it's just completely obvious. And, and other times, 
you know, it takes a little while to kind of get to know them. So I would say the on-campus experience, I know that, you know, for me, camps, I, I actually get in there, get in the mix, coaching, because I want to see how kids learn. I want to interact with them. I want them to get to know me a little bit because for me, it's really a long-term commitment. Um, you know, they're going to be part of our program for forever. So, you know, we want them to feel super comfortable with who we are too and not really hide who we are. Um, we want them to want to be a part of that, you know, through whatever. So speaking of the camps, um, you know, when you think about IQ and what you're looking for, and we've talked a lot about it already in, in other parts of our conversation, so we don't have to rehash what that all is, but it's understanding how to play as a team, how to have anticipation and, and how to um, understand how to move without the ball. And, and, and that's on both sides of the ball to be able to have IQ. Um, you talk about your camps. I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious, I guess, but um, to be able to evaluate IQ at camps is probably one of the, the, the best ways to do that because you can't always see, in showcases, it's very hard to see IQ also. 100%. I mean, we can kind of put them through some different, some different drills, some, some different scenarios that we do as a team and see how they react and see how quickly they can, you know, work with their teammate. How, how do they take feedback when we give it to them? Are they really listening and, and trying to implement it? Or are they just, you know, trying really hard to be successful? I think that there's a difference, you know, um, and I think the players that are really listening and implementing what we're saying are the ones that end up, you know, going the, the furthest because they're coachable, you know. And so, you know, to be able to put them in a situation that's a little bit unfamiliar yeah. and, you know, see how they react, that's the best way to see if they're going to be able to survive, um, you know, in your system, whatever system you run. And I think, you know, just across, like off the field, you know, you have different components. So you have to have both the off the field and the on. Right. But, you know, for us to be able to evaluate both, I think you can evaluate both in a camp setting. Um, and I think a visit is just another way to reassure us of right. who that, you know, well, who that person is. I, uh, coachability is both an attitude and an aptitude. And I think that's part of the thing that people forget. The attitude is you got to have a good attitude and want to take the coaching. But sometimes the greatest kid in the world just can't, you know, get it, get it to click. They just can't, you know, they don't see it. And so that's why it's, it's uh, in those camp settings when you sort of see how do they react to the coaching, you know, attitude-wise. But then also, you know, when you're starting to run two-man games and you're asking for movements that they've never done and to execute skills that they've not tried before, you know, most of the girls that I see have all the skill in the world. They just don't use very many of them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's kind of neat um, to see that. Um, you know, when you look at one of the things in the recruiting, too, is that, you know, everybody, the game at the youth level for women, girls lacrosse, I, I don't, I think, I think women's lacrosse is a very different game than, than girls lacrosse. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think women's lacrosse is, closer to men's lacrosse than girls lacrosse is to women's lacrosse in a lot of ways. Um, and um, I think that, you know, what you're doing and your recruiting is, is interesting. And you're not the only one. Of course, there's a lot of Division One coaches that are looking for all different types of athletes. But you kind of look, you know, you get these Canadians in men's lacrosse that score 50 goals and, you know, they would never win that same fitness test either. Yet they're able to score some goals. And I think that the ability to sort of say, hey, you know, we want to have a, a real – mixture of of talents uh is is really really cool um so your advice for people um as far as you know I, I i'm a huge believer you and i have talked a lot about this i'm a huge believer in playing pickup games yes um, I, I i think that that you can probably get more out of 35 minutes or 40 minutes in front of the house with a bunch of boys and girls on a small net and a tennis ball than you could like you said driving a few hours to go play in a tournament where you get like 15 touches. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that. And, and, and then a little bit what you're doing with, with your, your, your beliefs on the development of your athletes and your own kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's tough because I think there is some benefits to the club system, oh, sure. no, no. Um, you know, and playing, 
competition that's that's really tough and you know being challenged in that way but i also think that there's a for a lot of athletes especially that aren't you know based on the east coast in a certain area that it's it's a lot of travel it's a lot of travel and money and sacrifice to be able to get to those types of tournaments so you know i think the ideal situation is to just kind of really pick your spots I know that's difficult sometimes with the club programs because of the commitment that they ask for. But I think, you know, even if I was a club director, I would, I would just pick my spots and really focus in on development and get, get the parents to buy into this development, whether it's, you know, playing games in, in the area, developing skills, bringing coaches in to, to, you know, kind of help broaden their horizons and really just, kind of key in on taking advantage of being local, you know, and you know, I, I just think about even my brother who was a top level athlete in ice hockey. I mean, we never, you know, went crazy places to play. Sometimes we would drive to Canada, but it was limited, you know, and we picked our spots because we had to, we were forced to. And I think that, um, that's sometimes what's a little bit missing. I think that people feel like they have to go from tournament to tournament to tournament all summer long. And, you know, if they just kind of stayed close to home and like you said, pick up lacrosse, shooting skills, development, whatever it is, um, they might get more out of that than, than anything else. And even with my daughter, um, my older daughter is 12, so she's starting to get to the age where, you know, a lot of kids are even thinking about recruiting or starting to thinking about high school and all that. Um, we haven't really done much with her except for just in the backyard because, um, you know, we're trying to get her exposed to other sports. I really am a big believer, having played two sports in college, that, you know, playing multiple sports is beneficial for your body it's beneficial for your athletic development. And I've seen that with, with our older daughter already um, that she just athletically has come so far. Uh, she does martial arts, she does judo, which is basically like wrestling. And then she also does uh, gymnastics and she plays basketball as well. And I know that you know, she'll be a great lacrosse player. Um, obviously, it's probably easy for me to say that because we can just teach her. But, um, you know, I think there's so much access and opportunities online now for learning uh, our game, whether it's men's lacrosse or women's lacrosse, that it's not that hard. I mean, you could just watch some videos online and get some new tips and techniques and go out in the backyard and practice it and develop your skill to where that you could be, you could be a solid competitor, you know, at any level. And yeah, like JM3 sports uh, <laughs> online stuff, right, Cal? Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, I, th I think from, from that perspective, Scott and I both have just said that, you know, we're gonna expose our daughters to everything. Um, obviously, we don't want to force them into lacrosse because we did it, but, um, you know, if the love is there, we'll, we'll help mentor them. But I think athletically, uh, you know, Harley, our older daughter, I mean, she's learned so much tenacity and will and just technique in being involved in judo. I mean, no one's going to mess with her on a lacrosse field. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, she'll always have that if she tries lacrosse or another sport. And I think that it's unfortunate that we're all kind of forced to specialize and I get it, but um, I, I feel it even with her. I mean, the gymnastics people are trying to, you know, make her specialize a bit. The, you know, you get pressured from different angles when you're, when you get better at a sport, they, yeah. they, you know, and I think as a parent, it's just really important to just kind of trust your gut and make the choice that's best for you and your family. And I think that sometimes you got to be okay with people not liking that because that just might, might be the case. But I think that, you know, they'll hopefully respect you. And, and um, you know, as long as you know that you're staying true to yourself, that's, that's the biggest thing.
so she's 12 years old. She's played very little organized lacrosse. Yes. And she's played a lot of judo. She's played basketball. She's done gymnastics. She's played a lot of lacrosse, but it's been mostly in the backyard or out at practice or pickup games or whatever. I mean, it seems to me that, that what, what a model, you know, meanwhile, what everybody else does is they, they put all of the responsibility of their child's development in the hands of, of a youth coach or a club coach that may or may not be great. I mean, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But in all of those cases, you know, at practice, you just don't even touch the ball that much. In these games, you might touch the ball 10 or 15 times. It's certainly not the best athletic development. And we already kind of went over the fact that girls lacrosse isn't even close to women's lacrosse. And so therefore, you know, it's just really interesting that you're, you're choosing this model of, hey, we're going to take care of the skills in the backyard. And we're going to take care of the athleticism in these other sports. And when the time comes, which is probably coming sooner than later, if not now, you know, she'll get a chance to actually go play the sport on the field. And if she loves it, and like her mom and dad do, then that would be pretty awesome. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Well, Kelly, I really want to thank you for coming on. It was great to uh, hear your thoughts on so many topics. Really excited to see how the Wildcats do this year. Um, and uh, wish you the best of luck. Happy holidays. And thanks for coming on board. Yeah, thanks so much to you, Jamie. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you're getting involved with women's across. I think uh, you're a huge innovator of this, this game as well and a forward thinker. So it's been fun to, to hear everything that you have to say. And, um, you know, thanks for everything. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. All right. Take care. The Philocrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com.